Hello, and welcome to the Stories About My Ass podcast, field notes and film glamping and small farm animals. I'm your host, Brandon Dickerson, and if you have been looking for conversations around film, filmmaking, glamorous camping, boutique retreats, some food, as well as miniature donkey ownership, you have found the right place. Today, as we wrap up season one, I have the privilege of interviewing my production designer that I not only worked with on my latest film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, but early, early in my career with music videos, Kirsten Anderson, that is now and has been for 20 years, Kirsten Dickerson. Welcome to the Summer Podcast. Hello. It was actually Kirsten's idea for me to start every podcast with a story. And right before we started recording, I said, I don't have a story. And what did you say to me? What about Mushu's story? Mushu, our dog. So we had a chihuahua for 16 years that I loved named Lumiere. And when it got towards the end of that dog's life, sadly, we knew that we wanted some overlap for the kids. So we wanted to have another dog. And we had some friends of ours that had Yorkies. We loved Yorkies. And so we went on the search for a Yorkie. And as you see, a bit of a theme with us, it's the same way we got our alpacas and our donkeys. We started research on the World Wide Web. As well as our chickens. Our chickens were from the web? Yep. How did you find the chickens? Craigslist. Craigslist. So I started searching for, and we wanted, you know, a good dog. We didn't want a breeder. So what happened was I found myself in the middle of puppy scams. And I would get a photo of the most adorable Yorkie in the world and show it to the family and everyone would fall in love with it. And then by the end, every one of these turned out to be a scam. One was, you need to send the money because my mom just died and I need to meet you somewhere after you send the money. The other was they were going to ship the Yorkie. And on the third one, I got a little obsessed with trying to oust the puppy scammer. I went to great lengths to find out their location and then tried to set up a meeting place. And I You went know. to scam the scammer. I, I did. I tried to scam the scammer. And in the end, I scammed nobody and just spent a lot of time going down a road of... Uh, just a road to nowhere. Yeah. But then on our fourth attempt... Fourth attempt, Craigslist, actually. It's Craigslist. <laughs> so it sounded perfect. It was a Yorkie... It was a small litter. They were going to keep one. They wanted to get rid of one. And so they sent a photo, most adorable of any of them. And they gave an address in San Marcos, which was not far from Austin. I think we got in the car in 20 minutes of finding this listing. You're right. So puppy scammer, puppy scammer, puppy scammer, followed by me going down a downward spiral, trying to bust the puppy scammer, followed by Craigslist. We find what we think is a real one. We get in the car, drive to San Marcos, turn off the highway, turn down another road, turn down another road, end up with the whole family going down a dirt road. Deep into the woods. Deep, 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 deep into the woods, past the mailboxes, past the road that is somewhat cleared, onto a road that is barely cleared, and get all the way back in there to a double-wide trailer, to which, what do I say to the kids? (laughs) 
I think you said this feels like the beginning of a horror film. Yeah. You actually pulled the car in the position to do a quick getaway. Yeah. I pull in and I'm thinking the ultimate scam is our fourth scam where we all die. (laughs) This is how this is going to end. Now we're at the place in the middle of nowhere. It's like 9.30 at night, not the time that you want to be in the middle of nowhere. We're all scared. It's legit. I'm scared. Mason's scared. Maylee's scared. You're scared. Yeah. we're. Ter- I'm upregulated beyond measure. Mm-hmm. And I say, like, everybody get ready. Kids are on high alert. I step out and start walking towards the double wide. And all of a sudden, the sweetest young couple comes out of the double wide. Hi, y'all. Hey, how are you? And so... My blood pressure goes down. I think we're okay. And so we all get out of the car and go into the trailer with them. We go inside and we see Mushu, adorable. And we start getting the paperwork out and in the pocket of the lady, a small- It's a flying squirrel. Flying squirrel comes out of her pocket. So imagine we think everything's fine. And then to our surprise, as we're ready to sign the papers, a flying squirrel comes out of her shirt pocket. And I'm signing the papers and noticing the medical report says, Yorkie, Yorkie, Kikaju, Kikaju, flying squirrel, and just starts going off listing all these exotic animals. I had to pause and say, wait, what? What is a Kikaju? I was so confused. Yeah. And they explained to us that their day job out there is breeding exotic animals, which now there's a flying squirrel climbing all over the place while we're signing papers for Mushu. And there's a knock at the door. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Knock at the door and just in the kindest way I can say it, the most sketchy If I had to cast it, it would be the role of sketchy tweaker, (laughs) right? Like, like if I were writing this as a script, it would be families in there. The family lets out a sigh of relief, knowing that everything is okay. Right as the flying squirrel comes out of the pocket, the wife discovers the exotic animals and there's a knock at the door. (laughs) And it is sketchy tweaker. (laughs) Sketchy tweaker comes in to purchase said Flying flying squirrel. And so we needed to pause in the trailer while the exotic flying squirrel transaction goes down. A sketchy tweaker gets their flying squirrel and we get Mushu. And we leave the place happily ever after. And Mushu has been a wonderful dog. Let's just pause for a minute and realize they were deep in the woods living in a trailer. Flash forward three years later, (laughs) we lived deep in the woods in a trailer. Right, exactly. And shortly after, little precious Lumiere passed away, and I had the opportunity to be the strong one for the family. As the family mourned, I was able to comfort them and let them know that (laughs) everything was going to be okay. Truth be told, you cried for a week solid because you loved that little four-pound dog more than he knew was possible. And we buried that sweet little thing at Green Acres under our favorite tree. We did. And I did lose it. Like, I lost it, lost it. Yeah, we love our animals. I did not prepare myself for the love that you can have for a little animal at a hard time. I could literally start crying right now. (laughs) Just move on. (laughs) (laughs) Here's to Lumiere. 
that's our story. Mushu is racked out on a pillow right here as we sit and have a conversation. And actually, our producer for the podcast had the suggestion of you also asking some questions. So I have several questions prepared already. I am terrified. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start. So you have worked with me from early on in our marriage on music videos, on commercials, and of course, on this film. I also want to get to your company, Raven and Lily, at some point in our conversation. But I always like to, anybody I speak with on the program, I like to ask how they started. And for you, I'm very interested in what was that spark for design? Because you obviously have an incredible fashion sense and you have an incredible sense of design. Thank you. And... I want to know where that started. Well, I grew up in small town Katy, Texas that had a lot of cow pastures and cornfields still at the time and even cotton fields. It's not like that anymore. It's now an extension of Houston, but it was a very small town when I grew up there. Suburbs of Houston, there were not a lot of artists. I think I've always been a creative and an artist. I took a lot of art classes when I was young because I was so interested in art But then at a certain age in elementary school, it sort of disappeared. I knew no one else that was creative around me. There were no friends of mine who had parents that were creatives or artists of any kind. So I I just sort of stuffed it away and adapted to the situation I was in and really didn't know what to do with my creative side because no one knew what to do with me. And it wasn't until I was a Baylor that that creative side of me started to come out again. And you actually are largely responsible for that. You and I were really good friends. And sometimes there was drama with that. So I became your friend that you would go to in the John Hughes movies to process all your Yeah, it was some kind of wonderful. Mm -hmm. It was pretty in pink if Molly Ringwald ended up with Ducky which I think would have been potentially a better film. So we had that kind of relationship and actually had established early on in our friendship that we should never date because you were going to be a filmmaker and I was going to do humanitarian work. That's true. So I was very in tune with my passion for social justice and for women and caring for people in you know poverty and oppressive situations and really trying to understand how to reconcile that and you know, uncovering this world that I felt passionate about, but not knowing what to do with it. And you were always encouraging me and my creative side, but in subtle ways. And we stayed in touch even after college and through the AOL, early, early AOL. AOL. And when we fell in love, it was after I came home from volunteering in India for a summer That's right, which actually made it in the movie. (laughs) It did. (laughs) The part of you being in uh, India working with Mother Teresa is a line in Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, which was a subtle inside (laughs) joke between us. Yeah. It was during a part of the movie where you're having a commentary on social media. At the time that I was volunteering there, not only was there not social media, we were not allowed to take any photos. That's right. I have no photos of my time in Calcutta because... It wasn't appropriate. You were there to serve and your memories and your service was what you took with you. And I have one coffee table book that I found when I was in India that was taken by a man that had was a doctor that had volunteered there for a year and got permission to take photos. And some of the same people that he captured in the photos were the same people that I cared for that summer. So I bought that. And that was the only memories I had, which is so interesting how much has changed in 20 years. Yeah. Is that but, the book that was in the yurt? Yeah, it was in the yurt. And the year is a Mother Teresa book, and that was the one that has photos of the people that I knew when I was in Calcutta. So 
I um, remember coming back from that trip to India and you said, hey, I'm on my way to NYU. I, I was going to come back to Texas and volunteer with an inner city mission. And he said, how about we hang out for a few days? So those few days before, you know, I did my thing and you did your thing were in Fort Worth, Texas. And you picked me up and we would go to art museums, Japanese gardens, Shakespeare by the park and foreign films. Who does that? I don't know as friends. We do. We did. And we totally fell in love those few days. And I really feel like it was from that point on, you really encouraged my creative side. It had been there a little bit in our friendship, but the moment we fell in love, I think you saw that in me and it was there. It had just gone dormant for Mm. a very long time, like since fifth grade. And my sister and I were in New York over the weekend and she was asking me what happened to all the paintings I did. And mm. all the art that I did. And I don't know. Our parents have both passed away. I don't know where any of it went. Mm. But I was regularly painting and doing things at a very young age. And it, it really did go dormant for such a long time. And so I think the set designer and styling work that we did together early on was because you were also a very independent, new, starving artist filmmaker. We had no money. And you had a wife that had limited experience, but some capabilities. And so you would ask me to do the styling and the art direction for all your early music videos. And you would do the craft service, the cinematography, the editing and the directing and the writing of it. I mean, we did it all. Everything. It was like, yeah, it (laughs) was uh, was scrappy. We were living in a house with seven other people. So there were nine people. It was like our commune. And we were in the attic. We were in the attic. With Lumiere. With Lumiere. That's why we got hers to have a happy thing to come home to in the attic. And one time we got permission from the rest of our housemates to turn the house into a set for one of your music videos. And I painted all the walls and did all kinds of crazy stuff. And afterwards, we had to paint it back. It was a labor of love. We gave all of our housemates meal tickets, like places to go that we would pay for their meals because they had to vacate the house while we filmed the music video. It's pretty funny. In a rented house. And it holds up. It's, it's kind of it's a beautiful... Chasing Furies. Chasing Furies thicker. I think it's out What's kind of awesome is you put this theme in it that has been in a lot of your music videos and commercials since then, but you had a artist friend of ours, Sabrina Ward-Harrison, who's mm-hmm. an incredibly She's talented artist who also amazing. has a podcast. She does. I think it's called Room in the Trees. Mm-hmm. And Sabrina is a prolific writer, many books, as well as an incredible, true artist. We met her in Berkeley. And she actually acts in that music video as a blind artist. And you have this whole commentary about art and the ability to see beyond, you know, what's in front of you. And just this whole commentary early on about people not really paying attention to what really is there um, that can see. And those that not maybe can't see have better insight. Yeah, that theme. I mean, as you're saying that, that theme carried on and I kept making it again and again, and the idea of projecting things. So in the Sixpence There She Goes video, which you also did the wardrobe for, and then we had Sabrina actually do she artwork all the art, for the it. the background art which is amazing. video is all Sabrina yeah, Harrison. Yeah, so amazing. So the band is playing, and the people gathering are eating puffballs mm-hmm. with chopsticks. They're eating fluff, and they have their back to the actual band, and they're looking at a projected version and this is of the pre-social media. I know. I, you I, played with that theme all the time because no. you you thought it was a commentary about how we're not present. And who knew it was it's heading crazy. in the direction it did. The other thing me. that's wild is then in Breathe Your Name, mm-hmm. the people are taking selfies before there were selfies. Yep. So I feel like I could somehow say I saw selfies coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I love that you want credit for that. I want, well, maybe I don't, but it is interesting. No, it is. It I is always, I think about that a lot, and I think that the Amanda and Jack go glamping film is a culmination of all these themes that you've been toying with about social media and the idea of fluff and not being present with what's real and instead being attractive to what's you know remote or removed or not not truly real and present and social media takes us out of the present. And so I think that was something you were really exploring in Amanda and Jack Glamping because it's something that you've always been exploring. It is. So give me the elevator pitch on Raven and Lily. And then I want to talk about how we ended up in trailers out in the middle of the woods. Well, Raven and Lily is an ethical fashion brand that I founded in 2008 when we lived in LA. And it came because my two worlds collided. My passion for social justice and missions and humanitarian work that I've been involved in since college collided on a trip to India when I took 10 friends from Hollywood with me to visit some of the nonprofits I loved. And they firsthand got to witness with me this trend towards focusing on women and specifically nonprofits focusing on training women and equipping them with skills and the nonprofits that I had these strong relationships with had really been focusing on design-related skills. So then enter that design love, that interest in design that I had had. I had been working with you on different film projects. I knew a lot of really talented designers in LA and loved design. I, I think of myself more as an art director. I just know what I really like and have strong ideas and a vision for things. And when I saw this in motion, I realized my world could come together that maybe there was something about partnering with these efforts because I had the connections in the design world. So Raven and Lily founded in 2008 after that trip to India when I was able to convince four of my designer friends in LA to volunteer with me for a couple of years to figure out what it would look like if we came alongside these nonprofits I knew in India as well as in Africa. The trend was happening all over the world. If we came alongside these efforts where they were trying to train women but helped apply design to the skills the women knew or had been learning and then helped create a market for those goods in the West. We had no idea what we were doing. We knew the concept of fair trade. A lot of my friends had been working for mainstream fashion companies and they were well aware that there was slave labor and child labor behind the scenes and were really not wanting to participate that anymore. But no one was holding fashion accountable for the negative impact it was having on the world at that time. So for us, the idea of Raven Lily started as a nonprofit as an effort to do the opposite, to figure out how we could use fashion as a force for good in the world and to create a positive impact on people on the planet by partnering with these nonprofits. Then use design. You came up with the phrase at the time, empowering women through design, before the word empowering was being used very much. We actually changed our mission this year to say, rather than empowering women through design, which we still do, but we say, the mission of Raven and Lily is a fair trade fashion and home brand that is dedicated to employing women out of poverty, as well as funding microloans for at-risk women. And so on the front end, we give access to jobs for women that are coming from poverty because we have learned that when you give women opportunity with education and jobs, they will reinvest 90% back into their families and communities and a true cycle of poverty can be broken. And on the back end, we help fund microloans for women who are going through job training programs. They can start their own businesses. So at every point we are thinking about the impact on women So it's become this full lifestyle brand, which really is just a testimony, I think, to the movement in our country towards people being willing to ask, well, who made this or where did it come from? And then us wanting to answer those questions, not just in the positive way, but also with something that's well-designed 
And I think that's the part that I'm excited about is, is being able to start this company with the design in mind. Yeah. But also I, having a passion for the social cause. Yeah. Close, closely connected. So I'm Raymond Lowley's number one fan. And one of the things that I love is that you lead with the fashion, like the earrings or the dress or the bangles are things that you want. And then you learn that they're fair trade and that you're a B Corp and that they're ethically sourced. And so I love your model. So tell me about, you have such this passion for design. Tell me how that led to Green Acres and Simple Living. Well, I know our journey is interesting. We're kind of extremist. We tend to get an idea. We're extremists. We are. We're minimalist extremists. Are we? I've never, that's the first time I've ever heard this. Well, what do you call it when a family over the holidays gets the idea that what would happen if we didn't buy anything new for a year and by January 1st decides to implement that idea? You call them extremists. <laughs> and that's, that's right. when we you're did that. living in Hollywood at Sunset and Vine. Yeah. I think you and I are open to taking risks and trying new things. And so that's been part of our story and our journey. We have had to move a lot. Just How many times have we moved? <laughs> We've moved 12 times in our 20 years. 12 and 20. 12 and 20. That's a lot. Which is a lot. And I think circumstantially, I mean, sometimes a family member has passed away or you got a new job or our income dramatically changed as part of being an artist and just part of the territory. So we've moved around a lot and I think have stayed close as a family as a result. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also forced us to really only move with what was really important. That's true. And then there was a point when we moved to Austin that we spent one of our Thanksgiving holidays, both at a family camp for half of it. And then we went to a safari Safari lodge. In Bernie, (laughs) Bernie, Texas. When we were there, we started talking with our kids about the idea of hospitality. And we loved experiences where we could get away and unplug and be together. And we wanted to figure out how to share that with others and what we could do. And we just started thinking about our favorite experiences traveling. We've traveled a lot for film and we've traveled a lot for humanitarian work. And some of our favorite experiences have been when we stayed in safari tents. That's true. Or really alternative glamping retreats. The funkier, the better. We've done tree houses. We've done all kinds of things. And I think... We always were so inspired whenever we had those experiences Loved and that it. trip with our family was really inspiring. And we started a journal that week yeah. and started writing down a dream. If we could ever have land, what would we do with it? And, right. and what would we create? And we said it would be a boutique retreat center. We didn't even use the word glamping at the That's time. That's true. Boutique retreat for artists and sojourners. But we wrote it down. We came home and shortly after that, you started looking into land. And I think the idea just struck us. And we tend to be on the same page on the big moves that we've made in life. So if we end up on the same page, we end up usually moving pretty quickly. And that was one of them. And we found 25 acres, about 30 minutes outside of Austin. Fell in love with it. And we loved the tiny house thing. I mean, definitely that movement was starting and we... Yeah, we love the tiny love house. Love the movement. idea. And so it's a bit of a perfect storm. But we just bought the land. It took us a while because we didn't have the resources. So Green Acres was a slow burn. We would just all of a sudden buy a trailer and renovate it and then buy another one and then a yurt and then another and then yurt and then fix. So over the course of three years, I remember we stood there one day and looked around and wondered how it all happened because we never had an investment. No. We never suddenly had extra money in our bank account. We just sort of, figured we it nickel out. nickel and dimed it little, little used, by little. 
everything at Green Acres was either vintage or fair trade. It was either a vintage textile, a vintage trailer, vintage, you know, chairs, or it was artisan made locally or fair trade from a Raven Lily partnership. So right. we knew the story behind everything, which I think we were really proud of. We really loved Well, and that. we wanted to share it. That was the mm-hmm. thing is that we quickly put up the yurt and we started sharing it. And I think because we were going to share the land is why you really ramped up the design elements. And my backstory on it design. It basically a set for yeah, me. I, I think that's absolutely true. We treated it like a set before it became a set. So did. I it art is, directed it all the time because I yeah. liked that part of it, creating an experience for people visually yeah. when they would come glamping there. So I basically wrote a script around an existing set that you had been crafting for years. Mm-hmm. So that was a treat as a filmmaker, getting to write the film on set. But then you and I worked to get the art direction exactly as we wanted it. And then brought on Derek Jensen, who was hands-on throughout the shoot, and then did the two main things that didn't actually exist in the film were the teepee and then the upper area, which was so dangerous that we kept it off limits. But for the film, (laughs) we turned that into a little bit of a gathering area. I feel like the other advantage of your art direction on the film is that it actually is lived in. The thing that always feels odd in a film is when it feels art directed and it draws attention to itself. And the great thing is you had been art directing for literally two years leading up to the film. And then tell me about the joy of when I decided to turn our home into a film set. Well, that meant it was no longer my home. (laughs) We had to leave and go live in a hotel and Airbnbs for a month. Did not think that part through. It seemed like a really (laughs) great idea when I thought, oh, like Mark Duplass, you know, they say, you know, shoot in your own what you have and everything. And then it literally, there was that moment where I realized, oh, we all have to move out of our home to become a set. It worked. We love you. The family supports you. Thank you. And it all turned out well. Hey, I have to mention one thing is that part of my art direction of Green Acres and part of the vision was that you must have animals. And I think that's actually what's made our land really special for when we opened it up to guests, is that there were these adorable donkeys and alpacas and chickens that wanted you to come to. And that was very intentional in my part, is to find these animals, which were quite wild when we got them. That's true. So, Craigslist chickens, Craigslist donkeys, Craigslist alpacas, there you go. Uh, This could be today's show sponsored by (laughs) Craigslist. (laughs) Well, I want to continue this conversation, but first it's time for the Mason Movie Minute, the time on our show where I speak with our son about a film that he thinks we all need to see. Welcome to the Mason Movie Minute, coming to you live from Mason's room, where we are sitting next to a Panasonic VHS all-in-one player on top of a, I will not say vintage, you hate that word. I really do. It is not vintage. What is that? It's just cool. A cool oh, is that rack. Pointing out my PS1? No, that's vintage. Uh, 90s. Okay. It's like millennial vintage. Okay. One. I was it's actually referring to this, uh, like, School rack. Uh, Mason, welcome to your program. Thank you for having me. What is our film for today? Our film today is Akira, 1998 anime movie. 
Dun, dun, dun. Yes. It's so cool. Tell me why it is so cool. Who directed it and why is it amazing? I have the butcher's name. It's like Katsuhiro Otomo. Otomo. Yes. And Akira is based off of a manga. And manga is like the, uh, I guess, more specific word for like a Japanese comic. But he made like, that thing is like the length of the Bible. It's like 2000 pages. The actual original. Yeah. And then he turned it into a movie. So it's a lot in two hours, like condensed in there. And it's just crazy and colorful. And like the animation isn't like breathtaking, like even today. And I know we talked about Blade Runner, I guess, a few episodes ago. We did. And I think Akira, as far as the environment of having like a cyberpunk environment, I think Akira does a much better job of it. And I guess it's cheating because it's animated so they can just draw whatever they want. But it's just so cool. And the soundtrack for Akira is incredible. I know Pitchfork, like the music review website, just gave like the reissue of the Akira soundtrack, Best New Music, because it's so good. And wow. it's and it holds up? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like this really primal kind of like drum soundtrack and like chanting. And it's really unique. And it gives the movie kind of like this raw, like kinetic feel. And it's very energetic and like violent. So it's like a very just visually and like sonically driven movie. And it's awesome. That's great. Tell me the storyline. So in the year 2019. 2019. <laughs> yeah, World War Three happens. and Man, that is of... not funny anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little probable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So 2019. Yeah, 2019. And the world is just, well, specifically Japan. It's kind of like post-nuclear fallout from World War Three, And so they kind of reconstructed Tokyo into Neo-Tokyo. And it's this just really oversaturated kind of cyberpunk city of all these biker gangs and like drugs and student riots and, you know, crooked cops and politicians and all that good stuff that you'd expect in a dystopian future. And it's really hard to explain. The movie is really confusing, but basically this kid in the biker gang like collides with this weird little shriveled up like telekinesis kid and then he gains telekinesis powers and okay you need to describe telekinesis to us telekinesis is when you can do crazy things with your mind so you can like make people explode or like move things with your mind very cool there's lots of that in akira so if that sounds cool you should definitely watch akira so akira is a film that is i think at the top of the list of things you want me to see yeah right you now. need to watch it so I will also watch Akira. There's really nothing like it. Don't watch the English dub. It has a really bad English dub. To watch the... Subtitled, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, reading movies is the way to go. Yes. If there's subtitles. See it in its original form. Please do. But yeah, just... Uh, it's really crazy and it's kind of confusing, but that's okay. It's supposed to be confusing and chaotic. And just enjoy it for what it is because it's a really awesome movie. Great. Akira. Go see it. It's on Amazon. Amazon. It's not hard to find. It's not hard to find. You can pay real money and help Japanese anime. Yeah, so we can get more good, good animated movies out there. Mason. Yes. Proud of you. Thank you. Brandon, I think it's time that I ask you some questions. Okay. I'm ready. I'm. I don't know if I'm ready. Actually. Well, let's just start with a little question. Okay. Small question from my wife. Where do you get most of your daily inspiration from? I think what you're getting at is the shower. Yes. 
We take short showers, the whole family, except for you. You take long showers because you like to come I, up with all your grand ideas, especially when you used to make music videos and commercials. You got a lot of your ideas in the shower. That is true. So when I was talking with Aiden, he mentioned cold, quick showers, and I wondered, how would you think? How would you get all your good ideas? It is true. I get a lot of, get a lot of good ideas, in, ideas the in the shower. All right, I have another question you, for you. Oh, you're going right into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, another question. What was your high, low, and unexpected on Amanda and Jack go glamping? I would say the high is definitely working with the actors. I just, that's... One of my favorite parts of filmmaking, the time that I get to be with the actors and work on set and actually craft a scene and then just the relationships that build, not only with the cast, but with the crew and with everyone you're working with. So the relational aspects of filmmaking and specifically this film, because we had the opportunity to actually rehearse a bit and spend a little time glamping, you know, in the beginning. And so getting to know David, Aiden, of course, Amy, who we've known, getting to work with June, Chris, Richard, you name it. It was, that was the greatest joy. That was my high. Well, I think you stayed friends with all of them. I did. Really pretty fun. I know, that is good. Um, my low would have been the, I love creative boundaries within budgets. I'm okay embracing the limitations of independent film, but I will say that the, truncated schedule combined with weather challenges made it that that would be the low. So it's one thing to know the limited time that you're going to have. We shot the film in three weeks. So three, six day weeks is incredibly ambitious. And I was up for that, but then adding to that, some of the weather challenges that we had, that would be a bit of a low combined with the micro burst tornado that came through early on that was that, that was, was not fun. that was low 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 that was super low and then unexpected i would say to be honest i expected it to be easier to shoot on my own land and so i was surprised at the added layer of difficulty knowing that if something broke in the background or i heard something crash i was distracted because that was my house So whereas it seemed like a liberating idea to be frugal with resources and utilize your own home, I underestimated the challenge of that having a full crew take over and know that at the end of this, they all went home and what was left was some land that was shot on for three really ambitious weeks. So that was unexpected. That was my low. That's why (laughs) I didn't come around very much during the filming. I set it up with the art design, handed it over to Derek, and then came to visit you, but I couldn't look around because... Yeah, it was hard. It was a little rough. Uh, it was difficult. You know, my unexpected was how good of an actor your little ass was. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, you mean my donkey. <laughs> he was yeah, good. He was so good. Yeah. You know what? The scenes that I wrote of donkey were all things that he had done to me in real life. Mm-hmm. But it is, that was a huge risk to expect that once a crew was out there and once you were filming that he would do those things. But he was incredible. He was a good little He act. was amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. On this program, I talk about all things re, renew, restore, retreat. Tell me how you recharge. Mm, well, I recharge by being in nature. So I 
definitely affected by being outside. I don't like to exercise indoors, only outdoors, biking or walking, hiking. And when I need to relieve stress or meditate or pray or relax, I go outside. Yeah, I really am affected on all all areas, spiritually, mentally, and physically by nature. I can attest to that. Okay, keep going. Okay. Um, If you could claim to be the director of another movie, what movie would it be? Any movie or like in the last year? Any movie. I talked about with Mason that I wish I had directed either The Big Sick or Don't Think Twice. That would be more in the last year, those, those ones. Yeah, those, well, what in, about the last, any film of in the all last time? week. All time, I'm going to say The Fisher King. That doesn't surprise the me. The Fisher King. You had that poster in I your room in college. did. So my question for you is along the same lines, and I ask most everyone on the show, your favorite film the past 12 months? That's a good question. My favorite movie of this past year, maybe, is the documentary Keddie. Yes. Which is about cats on the streets of Istanbul, Turkey. You're really setting your, you are an animal lover. I think this podcast is coming like a whole other level. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like we've talked to a lot of animals. We've had me bawling over our chihuahua. And now your favorite film is a documentary about cats in Istanbul. Hey, it was pretty good. It was great. It came out the same day as Amanda and Jack go glamping. And we had it in our wish list. We were waiting and waiting and waiting to be able to watch it online. So as soon as we got home from the premiere, we watched Keddie is a Family. It's pretty funny. It's a good movie. Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you, you've always wanted to make a Bollywood film. Yes, that Why? is true. You know what it is? It's I love musicals and I love farce. So like the part of me that loves waiting for Guffman... And then the part of me that likes singing in the rain and then the part of me that likes different cultures all comes together, I think, in this beautiful place that I love so much. (laughs) It's dancing. It is drama. It's like a mashup of every genre in one film. (laughs) So as you recall, you and I were in India and went into a Bollywood film and everyone goes to the movies to sit in the air conditioning. We sat there, couldn't understand a word. And the gentleman next to us told us everything that was already obvious in the film. So it would begin and there would be a guy and a girl and they would flirt. And the guy next to me would say, they are in love. (laughs) He loves her. He thinks she's very pretty. And then like the relationships, you go, here's his brother. That is his brother. I'm not joking. And then... In the end, it's like they would sing, they would dance, and the credits would come up, and the guy would say, these are the people who worked on the film. (laughs) So I think that that experience of getting to not only enjoy a Bollywood movie, but enjoy it in India and see the way that the audience responds, and just the... Do you remember the theme song of the ball, that first I, What is your mobile, mobile number? number? What, what is, is your dial number? number? Give me your mobile number. What is your dial number? Is and, that a foretelling uh, to your social media commentary? Bling, bling. This was like in 1997. Give me your mobile number. That's right, 97. And then there's also this um, 
they just have a, a playfulness and then they, they feel like they're trying to be all things to all people. And you have this freedom to do everything in one film. And I think it would be an absolute blast. I hope you get to do one one day. I know. I think that's what I need to do my next. Well, that was what my last question was for you. Is what? What's next on the horizon for director Brandon Dickerson? Next for director Brandon Dickerson. I actually would love to do a musical. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting now that I've done four films to hear people note what they see consistent in the films. And music is one thing. You know, certainly Saronia is about a musician and, you know, Wes played a musician in it. I was a huge fan of Wes's music and then the music that's in the film. And then Victor had all of this kind of amazing, you know, there's Buddy Holly songs. There's songs from the era. Great. That Great music in that movie. I love, thank you. And then BC, who we talked with last week, but in my interview with BC, I completely failed to mention <laughs> that he did the podcast score as he's, well. He's awesome. He's awesome. So I love that. And then, of course, this film has Cure songs. So I think music would be a part, but I feel like in some ways, in the same way that Saronia had some comedy in it that I was very proud of, and I wanted to lean further into comedy. And then Amanda and Jack go glamping is the culmination of that idea. I feel like the way I've been playing with music, I almost would like to go fully into it and just do a musical. You know what else you like is inspired by a true story. So why don't you do a musical inspired by a true story? I think that would be the perfect thing. Why don't you do an 80s musical inspired by a true (laughs) story? Oh my gosh. That's why I love place in Bollywood. Oh my gosh. I love it. Let's a make it Bollywood happen. 80s true story musical. Done. That's my next film. You know what? Another film I love that is a little bit of that is Sing Street. That, that was a great movie. film did it for me. That really. I don't think anyone saw it. So if you haven't seen that film, you can oh, go and download it. It is fantastic. That's the Kirsten movie minute is go see Sing Street. One question for you was, as art director, what was the most challenging space on Amanda and Jack Go Clamping? Well, I think the most challenging aspect was that there literally was a micro tornado that went through the week before we started filming. Yeah. And so we had a quick do-over cleanup that I think took away the energy from other things that we could have done. But a Spartan is small. So while I think it was easy to capture the wide shots of the glamping land when you had that and all the outdoor with the sparkling lights, those, you know, were easy to art direct. But I think the interiors were a little challenging because it was such a small space. That is literally 10 feet wide. 11 feet wide by 40 feet long. That's right. That one goes to 11. (laughs) Which, now's the time to note, if you haven't seen A Man and Jack Go Glamping, there is a nod to Spinal Tap in the film. Closing scene. Yep. This one goes (laughs) to 11, which is one of my favorite hidden little gems. Easter eggs, I think the kids call them Mm -hmm. these days. Easter eggs. Kirsten, it has been wonderful to have this time with you by the fire talking about a wide variety of things. I think you are amazing on every level. Thanks, babe. Thanks for doing this. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. As you know, I always like to check in with our daughter about something food related. And since she is sick right now, I thought instead of making food, we would ask her about her favorite cooking programs. Okay, since you're not feeling 100%, we decided not to cook, but that doesn't mean we can't discuss... Favorite TV shows. Favorite TV shows. Food TV shows. Nice. Not just any TV shows, because when you're not feeling good, what do you do? Watch 
movies and TVs and stuff. That's right. <laughs> I just watch TVs. You just watch TVs. Just go find some TVs. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about how many cooking shows do you think there are in the world? A lot. How many? I don't know. How many good cooking shows are there? I don't know. How many good shows do you think we should tell people about? Three. Three? All right. What three cooking shows and why do people need to watch? Um, the Great British Baking Show. Why is that so awesome? They bake sweets and cakes and all that stuff. Now, is it professionals cooking? Tell, tell me the setup of the show. No, they're amateurs. And I think there's 20 of them to start and then just goes from there. And there's one baker that wins in the end? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is one of our favorite shows. What is another show that we may love? Master Chef Junior. Master Chef Junior, tell me about it. Um, it's basically Master Chef, but Gordon Ramsay's really nice to kids. Instead of being mean to adults. Yep. What age are the kids on that show? Eight to thirteen. Now, how do they cook? Like, give me the scoop. Like, how does an eight-year-old actually pull that off? Uh, really well. Do you think that it's rigged, or do you think it's real? It's real. What kinds of things do they cook? All sorts of food, like baking and cooking and grilling and all that stuff. Do they have challenges? Yeah, they have um, mystery box challenges where they have a box full of mysterious foods that they have to cook with. How much time do they get? An hour? Question. Pretty good. Do you think you could be on that show? No. Why not? Because I don't like being on TV. <laughs> you like watching TVs. You don't like being on TVs. Okay, so the great British baking show. Love it. Second is MasterChef Junior. And third is? Chef's Table. Chef's Table. Love it. Tell me about it. It follows Michelin star chefs around the world. Give me an example of an episode. Somewhere in Italy. Yeah. And then I remember a bunch of cheese things falling in an earthquake. Oh, right, right, right. So I love that show. I'm glad you chose that as your third show because that show has amazing stories. It goes beyond just the food and looks at the chef's inspirations and their life. The cinematography is amazing, the editing, the music. It's like an art form unto itself. How many seasons are there, do you know? Um, I think there's two or three. Yeah. And don't they do one in France, I think? Yeah. Something interesting to note is I was at the Austin Film Festival and in a panel, someone asked what advice they would give to a young filmmaker. And the producer actually said, watch Chef's Table. Yeah. He was saying that getting the opportunity to see chefs do such amazing work, not only in the kitchen, but their work ethic and their creativity would be the most inspiring thing to a filmmaker, which I thought was pretty interesting using cooking to inspire film. What do you think? That's awesome. Okay. So to recap, Maylee's three top shows related to cooking are the great British baking show. Yes. Master chef junior. Yes. And chef's table. Nice. And do we know where they're all available? Master Chef Junior on Hulu, and then The Great British Baking Show and Chef's Table on Netflix. Nice. May Lee, when we watch those shows and I see something on the screen that looks good, I say, May Lee, that looks crazy tasty. And you say? Yep. <laughs> Great. Anything else you'd like to say? Can we watch your show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So at the end of every podcast, I usually give some advice on small animal ownership. I think it's only fitting that today you give the advice. What tidbit of wisdom would you have for somebody raising miniature donkeys and alpacas? I think if you want to win over animals, you do so with food. It's the way to every small animal's heart. And that is how we earned the trust of the donkeys and alpacas was through treats. And then we could interact with them without treats. It's true. I think that's good advice for marriage, too. (laughs) (laughs) That is a wrap on season one of the Stories About My Ass podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. As you may or may not know, there's a film out there called Amanda and Jack Go Glamping that is on demand, and I hope that you will rent it, enjoy it, share with your friends. The Sama Podcast is produced by the amazing Chris Mann, the incredible Jeff Carpenter, and myself. I hope that you will tune in next season when you will hear... What is mobile number? What is your smile number? What is your smile number? What is your mobile number? What is your dial number? Give me your mobile number.